Good morning. We're continuing our series in the Old Testament prophets. And the prophets spoke for God for a period of about 400 years, warning Israel to turn from their sin, to turn from their idolatry and injustice, to turn from their flawed leadership and ritualism, or face the wrath and judgment of God. And Israel didn't. They continued in their sin, and God allowed them to be defeated, destroyed, and exiled. And Israel and Judah were no more. But the prophets also spoke of promise, of the promises of God. And last week we began this part of the Old Testament prophet series in looking at the promises that God promises to restore. And today we're looking at the promise of renewal. When you hear the word renewal, what comes to mind? For me, the first thing that comes to mind is renewing a library card or a driver's license. Right? If you lose your driver's license or your driver's license expires, you lose all your privileges and your status, and you can't drive anymore. And Israel had lost all their privileges and status as a nation, all their priv privileges of God's favor. And God was going to renew, to return to them what was lost. They would return to what they had before. But God's idea of renewal is much bigger than that. When we sold my parents' house five years ago, we had to do a whole process of renewal and making the house look new again in order for buyers to want to buy it. And my family had lived there for over 60 years. So that means over 60 years of clutter. And my parents had bookcases, lining walls, filled with books and papers and knickknacks and all kinds of stuff. They had too much furniture, which the realtors told us we had to get rid of. And all the furniture was covered, all the surfaces were covered with papers, things, stuff, knickknacks. The closets, the drawers, the cupboards were overflowing with clothes that nobody wore, toys that nobody played with, things that had been forgotten. And it took us several months to clean all that out get rid of it, to make the house look new again. And when we were done, we were so proud of ourselves. We patted ourselves on the back at the great job we had done and how the house looked completely different. It looked like a new house. But then it was bought by an investor who flipped the house. And they took out walls, they gutted the kitchen and the bathrooms, they put in new flooring, new lights, added a deck in the back, painted, staged it with all new furniture in different positions, and now it was completely transformed inside and out. My mom actually went to look at it, and she didn't like it because it didn't look warm and inviting like her house had. It was a complete overhaul. And when we think about renewal and restoration, we might think it's just a little bit of cleaning and making things look new again. But our efforts and our ideas can only go so far. God flips everything. God's promise of renewal isn't limited to just returning things to the way they were before. God's idea of renewal and restoration is a complete overhaul, a transformation from the inside out. And the prophets spoke about God's promise for Israel and the ongoing promise for us as well. The most detailed vision of this promise comes from the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And today we're going to spend some time in Jeremiah 31. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, 
It'll help you to look at it, so I'm not going to be able to read all the verses, and you can just kind of skim through it. But last week, Brandon told us a little bit about Jeremiah and how God had instructed him to go throughout the land and look for one righteous person. And that search illustrated the depth and extent of sin. And the first 29 chapters of Jeremiah are a bleak and depressing picture of God's wrath and the judgment to come. But the tone changes in Jeremiah 30. And in chapter 31, we see the promise of renewal. So I'm going to start in verse 1, Jeremiah 31, verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when the watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. And then skip down to verse 11. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. And the chapter continues with blessing after blessing. There was a lot in God's promise for his people to look forward to. In earlier chapters, God's judgments had included incurable sickness, scattering, no joy, no weddings. And here in 31, those judgments are reversed. The losses are restored. Instead of sickness, there will be healing. Instead of barren vines, there will be vineyards full of fruit. Instead of being scattered, they will return and be regathered. And where there had been mourning, no joy, no weddings or celebrations, there would be joy and gladness, singing and dancing. And this was a promise of renewal, a return to the land and a return to being God's people. And it was a remarkable promise to rebuild and return. My, parent, my, my mom grew up on a farm in Lancaster, and during internment, her family was uprooted, and they never returned to Lancaster. But here, after 70 years in exile, the Jews returned to the land God had promised them. They were given money and supplies to help them rebuild, and they did. They rebuilt the city, the walls, they rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed. They rebuilt their homes and replanted their vineyards, and there was joy and celebration, and they worshiped God. But they did not become a nation until 1948. They remained under the rule and oppression of foreign governments, the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And the promises that the prophets spoke were fulfilled in different ways over time. And the fulfillment we see of prophecy is layered. The prophets spoke specifically to Israel's renewal and restoration after the exile. But some of it is meant to be bigger and broader. It's clear that God's heart is for Israel. 
But it's also clear that the fulfillment of prophecy extends beyond their days and beyond their borders. And we see that as Jeremiah continues. Look at verse 31 to 34. 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And this is something new. This is something glorious, a new covenant that would complete and bring to fruition all the covenants that had gone before. And as we as a church have been looking at the story of God and, the, God and his people over the last five years, and looking at the story of the Old Testament, we've seen these covenants. And we've seen and we've emphasized all along that God's intent has been to deal with the problem of sin and brokenness. The problem that started back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the serpent and the fruit back in Genesis. And through the Old Testament covenants, God has been bringing together and solving the problem of sin. The first one was back in Genesis 12. God made a covenant with Abraham to make him a, na to make him a great nation so that all the world would be blessed through him. And it was a promise of nation, of land, and of blessing. And the new covenant would renew that. And then in Exodus and Deuteronomy, God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And he made a covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai. And God established a relationship with his people. And he gave them the law, the offerings, and a choice of blessing or curse. He gave them a way to live as God's people and be a blessing to the whole world. And Israel failed. But the new covenant would perfect that. It would make that relationship and that blessing a reality. And then in 2 Samuel, God made a covenant with David of an everlasting kingdom, a perfect king, a Messiah. And the new covenant would set that in motion. The new covenant would bring all the prior covenants to completion and perfection and fruition. And Jesus proclaimed that the new covenant was fulfilled in him. In 1 Corinthians 11.25, on the night before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus proclaimed, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus told the disciples that he was the fulfillment of the, new of the new covenant, the promise. And in his death and resurrection, that covenant would be fulfilled. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again to solve the problem of sin and brokenness that began back in the Garden of Eden. And this is the bigger promise of renewal. In the new covenant, God's promise of renewal is total forgiveness, personal relationship, and genuine transformation. That's what God promises us. 
We see those three promises in Jeremiah 31, and then we see their fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus made a way to restore the perfect relationship that we were created to have with him so that we can live with wholeness, with joy, and with blessing. First, in Christ there is total forgiveness. Verse 34 in Jeremiah says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God would remember their sins no more. And the old system of offerings and sacrifices to atone for their sins would be abolished. God would not keep track of their sins and wait for people to do something about it. God would make a way for total forgiveness, not dependent on their actions. And that way was through the death of Jesus. He was the ultimate, perfect, final sacrifice, once for all time and for all people who believe. There's total forgiveness in Christ. Second, in Christ, there's a personal relationship with God. Verse 33 to 34 says, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor nor say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. God would be close and personal and everyone could know him. The old system of the temple and the priests and offerings would be obsolete. God would no longer be distant behind a curtain in the holy of holies unreachable by unclean people. He would make a way for a new kind of relationship. It would not be based on national identity. It would be available to everyone who believes. In Christ, every one of us can come into the presence of God and receive his love and grace and forgiveness. There's new identity and a new personal relationship with God. Third, in Christ, there's genuine transformation. Verse 33 says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, explains it further. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's genuine transformation from the inside out because the Holy Spirit is in us. God would enable and empower obedience from the heart and from the mind. The old laws that governed external actions and external behavior would be replaced by internal motives and internal power in the Holy Spirit in us. God would make a way for joyful, willing spiritual growth, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not going through the motions because we have to. Because of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we can have genuine transformation from the heart. In Christ, we are in that process, a lifelong process of genuine transformation. And because of Jesus, we have total forgiveness, we have personal relationship with God, and genuine ongoing transformation from the heart from the inside. What does that look like? God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. What does that look like to you? My granddaughter, Emily, is two years old. She just turned two. And when I visit them in Atlanta, I play with her for hours while her parents work at home. 
One of our favorite pastimes is playing with Legos. Will has a box, a big box of Legos from when he was a kid, and we don't really follow the instructions or build the things you're supposed to build. We just kind of put them together. She hands me blocks and I add them to whatever we're doing. I put the little people together and she pulls their heads off. <laughs> we put them in little cups and we get a long Lego and stir them up and pretend they're food and we pretend to eat them. But eventually, every game we play ends up with her throwing them around the room. For some reason, she likes to take a cup or take a handful and throw them. And that means that we have to clean them up. And I've tried different things, singing the cleanup song, doing different things, but most of the time, at some point, I have to put on that stern face and that scoldy voice and say, Emily, now we need to pick these up. I need you to pick up the Legos. Please help me pick them up. And I watch her face harden and set. She doesn't want to clean up and pick up Legos. Sometimes she will stomp over and pick them up and throw them in the box or throw them at me sometimes. I'm not sure if she's throwing them nicely or she's actually throwing them in anger, but sometimes she throws them at me. Sometimes she just walks away. She goes back upstairs and I have to follow her. And we both feel unhappy about this. But then I made this amazing discovery watching Tracy, because when this happens with Tracy, she doesn't put on that stern, scoldy face. She gets really calm and gentle and kind, and she says, Emily, would you please help me? We need to clean these up, and it would be so helpful to me if you would pick up those Legos. And I watch the little wheels turn in her head, and she runs and picks them up and brings them back and gets a big hug and kiss. And I've tried that, and it doesn't work quite as well with me. <laughs> Because, you know, she has a different relationship with Tracy. To Emily, I'm just that woman that shows up every few months and plays with her. Because she doesn't have the long years of experience and understanding that Kai and Grayson have at six and eight years old. She doesn't really know who I am and how much I love her. She'll learn. But really, we're all just big two-year-olds. We are. We don't want to clean up. We make messes. and. We'd rather just leave them there for someone else to fix. And we can be resistant and stubborn. Or we can have the willing heart of the new covenant, of a new relationship. When we hear the stern and scoldy voice of correction, sometimes we disobey. Sometimes we walk away. Or sometimes we do what we're supposed to do with grudging sense of duty. But that changes when we know Jesus, when we love Jesus, when we experience who God is and how much he loves us, and we hear God's voice, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. My way is gladness, comfort, joy, wholeness, blessing. And we are drawn to that kind and gentle voice with a new heart and a new spirit. God restores and renews and puts his spirit in us. And there are other prophets who spoke of the new covenant and the renewal of the heart and the mind to come. But one of those is Ezekiel. And in chapters 36 to 37, Ezekiel clues us in to God's purpose for renewal. I'm going to just read parts of some verses. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Verse 23, 
and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord, let that be known to you. Verse 36, then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 38, then they will know that I am the Lord. And then chapter 37 ends with verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And that phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord, is key. He says, I am not doing this for your sake. I am doing this so the nations, so they will know that I am the Lord. And this is repeated many times in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, and in the rest of the prophets. God doesn't restore Israel to the land, return their blessings to them, and just to make them happy and feel fulfilled. God does it. So all the nations will see God's power and know that he is the one true God. And God doesn't do that because he's insecure and he wants to make sure he gets all the credit. It's so all the world will be blessed. God wants them to know that he is the Lord because that's the way to blessing. That's how they receive God's blessing of wholeness and joy. When we learn who God is, and honor and worship him. When we know God, we recognize who he is and what he's done. And that word know is more than knowing about. It means to know, understand, recognize, to experience, to know God in a personal, intimate relationship, and to be changed by what we know. We honor God and worship him. We seek to be like him. We reflect his goodness and grace when we know God. And when we know God, we live like beloved, blessed people who love and bless others. And that's God's purpose. God's purpose is to restore this broken world through us as we know him and make him known. And that's the purpose we see in Ezekiel, that all the nations will know God and be restored to his creation intent for the world. That's God's bigger purpose. And this is our calling as God's people. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our calling. We declare his praises, and we make him known. Jesus has called us out of darkness. He's brought light into this dark world. But it's not just for us. God's purpose is that we know him. It's not just for us to feel his love and forgiveness and to feel good about it. It's that we make him known so that the whole world receives his blessing, so the whole world can enjoy his forgiveness and love. And God restores his creation intent to be with his people so that they reflect his goodness and his grace to bring blessing to the whole world.
And that's the privilege we have, to be loved and to love others, to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And we are all broken people, whether we admit it or not. We all experience the hurt, pain, the struggle from our own sin, and as a result of the sin of the people around us. We struggle to receive love and blessing, and we struggle to love and bless others. But in Christ, we have forgiveness, we have a relationship with him, and we have genuine transformation, genuine transformation. And we can begin to experience healing, restoration, and renewal. We can begin to experience that love and blessing so that we can love and bless others. I look back on a lifetime of insecurity and struggle to figure out who I am and what I'm supposed to do and how to live to prove myself worthy, to be good enough, to live up to expectations, sometimes my own, sometimes others. And all of that is, when I look back, thinking about I grew up in a dysfunctional family like we all have. I think it's just a normal thing to grow up in, a family with some dysfunction. And there was anger and competition. There was chronic illness, people-pleasing, always trying to fit in and figure out what was expected and what to do. And then, much later, there was my divorce and that feeling of complete failure. And learning who God is and how much God loves me is a glorious discovery. I'm still learning the extent of that love and growing to trust him more and more. But it's a glorious thing to know that God loves me with all my failure, with an everlasting love. God restores me. And he can even use me, use even me, with all my insecurities and personality quirks. God restores me. He makes me more than I could ever be. He gives me significance, power, and ability beyond my own, the ability to love when it's hard. How could I not respond to that and want to follow God, to grow, to grow to obey him? And what a privilege it is to be restored, to be renewed, and to be used to serve God and to find joy in that. And all of us have experienced brokenness, dysfunction, insecurity, and failure. And we can all know the God who restores and renews. How do you need his restoring, renewing love today? God's promises still stand. He offers you those same things because Jesus is the new covenant. And he says to you, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you can have a personal relationship with the Lord God Almighty. He says, I will forgive you and remember your sins no more. And you can stop trying to earn God's favor. There's total forgiveness in Christ. And he says, I will give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. And you have genuine transformation available. It's not by your efforts, but it's because the spirit is in you that you can be genuinely transformed. Thank God for his love and grace. Thank God that he's called us 
to receive his love and blessing and to be a blessing to love others. Where do you need his restoring, renewing love today? Tell him about it. Ask him for help. And thank him. He is good. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who restores us and renews us. That you can do that in us. That it's not up to us and how good we are and what we do. We ask you for help and we bring to you the things that come to mind for us, Lord, where we need restoration and renewal. We ask you for help and we thank you. We worship you, we praise you, and we want to walk with you and grow with you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.